We have come to the final sermon in our series of By Faith. Some of you seem sad. Some of you may be extremely happy. Don't cheer. It'll hurt my ego, but uh, just kidding. Uh, We've gone through Hebrews chapter 11. We're skipping over a few verses I will reference today, but I want to go back and set the scene before we go to Hebrews chapter 12. And here's what I want to say to you at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12. You understand that the verse divisions, the chapter divisions were not put there in the original. They were added later. I'm thankful that they were added. It would be very difficult to say to you, open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, turn about two-thirds of the way through it, find the word that starts therefore, and let's read together. That would be very difficult. So I'm thankful that we're there and we have Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. But the word therefore that starts us off is one of the strongest conjunctions that you will find in the original Greek language. And what it's saying to us is it's very plainly saying on the therefore slot, you better look and see what happened before this because this is leading to our action statement. And all that we have looked at over the past semester and over this semester is leading up to what the writer of the book of Hebrews is going to say to us in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 in particular. By way of just reminding you, Hebrews chapter 11 is bracketed in chapter 10 with endurance and perseverance. In chapter 12, we again come to endurance and perseverance. There's probably not a better topic to talk about at the end of a semester as you approach finals and papers and assignments being due than endurance and perseverance. I got one amen there. All right. The rest of you have already turned everything in. You're good to go. Not quite. In the chapter 11, the writer of the book of Hebrews gets into that preacher mentality of by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith over 20 times. He connects and brackets that at the beginning and at the end with by faith, we receive commendation and then commendation occurs by faith. And so we understand the only way to please God is by grace through faith, is through faith in Jesus Christ. And he'll hone in on that and give us a very specific command here at the end of how we're to run the race. And so today we come to Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two, where we're going to focus. And the title of the message would be running with endurance, running with endurance. So if you are able, would you stand in the honor of the reading of God's word at Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse one, as we read verses one and two. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh, dear Lord, as we look at this passage today, Father, I pray that you would give us just a glimpse of your glory. Father, that you would help us to be convicted and challenged and to be encouraged, and Lord, that we might have a passion for you greater than anything else in this life, and that Jesus would be exalted and glorified, and it's in his name we pray, amen, and you may be seated. As we look at this particular passage, let me give you the outline before we walk through it. In these verses, we have one main verb section. That one main verb section, as you can see on the screen, is let us run. In the original language, it's actually fronted with the prepositional phrase with endurance so that it would read, with endurance, let us run. 
And that's your main verb. That's the main driving force of this entire passage is to run with endurance. That running with endurance verb clause then has three participial clauses that modify it. Now, we'll walk through all three of those participial clauses as well, but we won't necessarily have points so much as we're just going to walk through the text and look at it. The first participial clause comes before it. It says, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Another modifying clause comes before it, and it says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. If you wanted to have the true participle form, you might say, being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, laying aside every weight and sin. And then after it, it gives you another one which says, looking to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. So in this text, we see very clearly what's our main point. Run with endurance. What are we to run with endurance? It's the race that is set before you. Each of us has a different race that is set before us, and the text is very clearly saying, therefore, based on all that we have been through, run that race that is set before you and run it with endurance. Let us look first at the beginning participial phrase, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. There's two ways you could take this text, this participle phrase, so great a cloud of witnesses. One way that has been taken throughout history is it's because of that metaphor of running that some would see it as though you're running into an arena and that you have stands on both sides and that people are sitting in the stands and they're watching the race and they are there cheering you on. And so there's a cloud of, or a crowd even of witnesses too, looking on upon you as you're running the, the race. There's another interpretation that I favor. I don't believe this is talking about those who have gone before us, sitting in a stadium, staring at us as we run the race. I can only imagine that once we are dead and once we are in the presence of the Lord, we are going to be much more occupied with serving and being present to sing praises before Jesus than we are looking back on earth to see what others who come after us are doing in His name. This word for witnesses is the root of where we get our word martyr. When you are a martyr, you are a witness to something you believe in. You die for what you believe in. You give testimony to what you believe in with your very life. You lay it down for whatever the cause may be. And in this text, what I believe the writer is doing is in chapter 11, verse 1, he talks to us about the description of faith that we covered a long time ago, the assurance of things hoped for, but then the conviction of things not seen. And under that conviction of things not seen, he has gone through this list of Old Testament saints. And I think what he's saying is, therefore, all of these Old Testament saints are witnesses, and they're witnesses to this fact. They're witnesses to the fact that God is faithful, you can trust Him. They're coming along and they're saying, God is faithful, you can trust Him. And we have a cloud of witnesses around that are saying all in unison, God is faithful, you can trust Him. So that's part of our motivation for running the race with endurance. When you run in that race and you look around and, and you need some help and you need some encouragement, and you're wondering, God, are you out there? What's happening? You have these witnesses who come along and who say to you, God is faithful. You can trust him. You think back through chapter 11. And in chapter 11, we see, first, we encounter Abel, who by faith offered a better sacrifice, a more acceptable sacrifice. And Abel comes walking by and Abel testifies and says, God is faithful. You can trust him. And we see Enoch who by faith was assumed so that he would not see death. He was taken up and Enoch walks by and he says to all of us, by faith, you can trust God. Noah, 
who constructed the ark, who was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years, who people made fun of. And when we're being made fun of and when we look around at society and they're not believing the message and we're wondering what's going on, Lord, Noah walks by and by faith, Noah did what he did. And he says to us, God is faithful. You can trust him. Sarah, by faith, received the power to conceive. Abraham, by faith, went out not knowing where he was going. So when God calls you after graduation or in that summer internship or on that mission trip and you're going to a place and you have no clue what you're going to encounter, you can look back at Abraham and Abraham will look and Abraham will say, God is faithful, you can trust him. Abraham, when he laid Isaac upon the altar and he raised the knife, And he trusted that God would raise him from the dead. And when things are in your life that are challenging the very core of your being, Abraham comes along and he says, you can trust him. All the Old Testament saints, one by one, Isaac, by faith, blessed Jacob and Esau. Jacob, by faith, blessed the sons of Joseph. Joseph, by faith, gave directions, don't leave my bones in Egypt. God will come and visit you. By faith, you can follow him. Moses comes on the scene. He denies all the riches the world has to offer, all of the titles that are before us. He chooses to be mistreated with the people of God. He chooses the reproach of Christ as greater wealth than all that the world has. And when God calls you to give up that job to follow him or when God calls you to take something that doesn't pay as much or when God takes something away and you look around in life and you wonder, God, are you there? Moses steps up and he says, God is faithful. You can trust him. Children of Israel by faith went across the Red Sea on dry ground. The walls of Jericho fell down by faith. Rahab welcomed the spies by faith. Gideon conquered with 300 men by faith. We can talk of Barak who walks by and accomplished things by faith. Of, of Samson who pulled down the walls of the temple by faith. And of David and of Samuel and of Jephthah and of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego and Daniel. And they all come by one by one and they all by faith look at us and say to us, run the race with endurance. God is faithful. You can trust him. Do you believe that this morning? You know, we're at the end of the semester. Things happen at the end of the semester that make absolutely no sense. You're tired, we're tired, everybody's exhausted. We're ready for the end. And what we don't count on oftentimes is that the devil is ready to try to undo everything that God has done the prior year. He wants to send you away this summer and discourage you and destroy you and bring down your faith and he wants to start right now and he wants to start two weeks ago. And he wants to attack and he wants to send things in your life that are gonna challenge you, that are gonna cause you to question. He wants to tear down your faith. And if we had time this morning, we could have a host of our own witnesses walk across this stage that would say to you, don't let that happen. We could bring up Dr. Murdoch who would get on this stage and would say to you, God is faithful, you can trust him. 
We have Dr. Johnson walk up here and say, God is faithful, you could trust him. We could bring professor after professor after professor who would walk across the stage and provide testimony of God's faithfulness in their own life and staff members as well who would say to you, God is faithful, you can trust him. And what I want you to get is these witnesses are not testifying about us, they're testifying about God. They're encouraging and they're saying to you, we serve a great and awesome God. Do not let anything pull you away or sidetrack you. These witnesses wants you to know that God is faithful. You can trust him. We go to a second participial phrase. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. What are we to do? We think about running the race and you have two statements here joined with a conjunction. One is to lay aside every weight, not necessarily things that are evil or things that are sinful, but things that are holding you back and you're to lay aside the sins which cling so closely. So when we think about this, as I was thinking about this sermon, coming up upon it, knowing that this weekend, I I went to a track meet, and our guys track team and our girls track team both took the GMAC championship, so we can give them a round of applause for doing a great job there. But you know what I didn't see when I went to the track meet? I didn't see anybody wearing a nice suit and tie as they were running their track meet events. Does that shock any of you? If you're going to run a track meet, what do you wear? You wear shorts that are only to be worn while you're on a track meet, right? (laughs) Because not only does it not fit proper dress code, but for guys, it just doesn't fit at all to wear those out anywhere else unless you're running because they're too short. There's not enough material in them. Yeah, no, don't do it, all right? Just don't do it. That's right. We get an amen for that, but not the cloud of witnesses. We got to work on that. I'm just saying. So what do they wear? What would you wear? Well, it just so happens, I know the track coach. Here's what we wear when we run in a track meet. There's, There's a lot less material in this shirt than in my suit, right? Why? because you want to lay aside everything that would hold you back. Now, we actually have some decent shorts. We don't have some of those really short shorts that some of these other people wear. But you see that this outfit is far less than what I have on today to be here to stand up and to preach for you. And so you, you are, put it on, not a chance. <laughs> and so you understand that we lay aside things when we're running a race. Why? Well, number one, it would be ludicrous for me to get out there in this and try to run, it'd be ludicrous for me to try to run a race anyway. But for you to get out there and try to run in a suit, people would look at you and they would laugh at you and they would say, that's crazy. Back when I used to train for track, I used to pole vault and do some other things. But when I did that, they would always tell us to put the ankle weights around your ankles so that you would train with ankle weights, which we know is bad for your joints. And so don't do that. But, but wouldn't it be foolish if somebody who had trained with ankle weights went to an event and told their coach, said, coach, you know, I really have grown comfortable with these ankle weights. I like them. They're my ankle weights and I think they look good. And I really want to participate in the event today wearing the ankle weights because I'm comfortable with these ankle weights. And I don't want to take these ankle weights off because it's kind of like my security blanket. And I, I really like these ankle weights. And the coach would look at them and the coach would say, what? Take off the ankle weights, idiot. Something like that, right? I mean, it's a coach. They're not going to mince words with you. They're your coach. Do you want to run today? Get the ankle weights off now. Yet there are so many times in our life that we are weighted down, 
that we carry backpacks that slow us down from running fast after Jesus, that we have ankle weights that we have strapped on us. And when we are convicted by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit says to you, this is slowing you down, this is holding you back, we look at God and we say to God, you know, these are my ankle weights. I'm comfortable with these ankle weights. I don't want to let go of these ankle weights. I've grown attached to these ankle weights. I have practiced all this time with these ankle weights. And and Lord, I really don't want to get rid of these ankle weights. And the Holy Spirit saying to you, get rid of the ankle weights and run with endurance after Jesus. So what are your ankle weights this morning? It's not just in ankle weights. We also had baseball and softball that played on Sunday, and both of them split, and they're doing a great job, so we can give a round of applause for our baseball and softball team. So I'm sitting behind the, the, in our new stands, which were great, and, and love that, and I'm sitting there, and I'm watching the pitcher throw the pitches, and I'm looking over at our, our batters, and, and I was expecting the batter to have a bat with a weight on the end of it, and I look over there, and it looked to me like they were slinging a sledgehammer. Is that right? Yeah. I don't know why they were slinging the sledgehammer. I mean, there was nothing to pound in the ground, but they were slinging the sledgehammer to get used and to get warmed up. And, and that's what they were practicing with. But you know, I didn't see a single one of them walk up to the plate with that sledgehammer to hit the baseball. I don't know why. They practiced with the sledgehammer. The sledgehammer apparently is good or they wouldn't be using it, but they didn't try to hit the baseball with the sledgehammer. And there are some of us in our Christian life that we are being held back and we are trying to hit the baseball with a sledgehammer. We are trying to run the race of the Christian faith with ankle weights still strapped on us. And so what is holding you back? Is it your past? Things you've done in your past, you look around and you say, God can't use me. God can't do this. I've done this. And every time you start running hard and fast after Jesus, he brings up that past and he grabs that past and that past wants to hold you back to keep you from running. And so maybe the backpack you carried in this morning is not full of books, but spiritually that backpack you carried in this morning is full of your past sins, the past things that you have done in life that are holding you back and keeping you from running after Jesus. I've got a quote for you on that. Here's the quote. The rearview mirror is much smaller than the windshield. That's because we need to look where we're going and only glance at where we've been. Think about driving down the road staring in the rearview mirror the whole time. What's going to happen? You're going to have a wreck. What happens in life when all you're doing is looking back at things that have happened in your past, never looking forward to where you're headed? You're going to have a, you're going to have a wreck. What is it that's holding you back? Well, maybe, because these are not necessarily sins, maybe you are too busy to serve God well. You realize that every time you say yes to something, you say no to something else because there's a limited amount of time in the day and perhaps you haven't learned to say no to things yet and every time somebody asks you to do something, you say yes to it and until you understand that sometimes you have to say no to certain things so that you can do what God wants you to do and it's not offensive to the people you say no to but you so want to make them happy and please them, you say yes to everything and what you end up saying no to is studying and doing your classwork well, your quiet time and reading your Bible well, ministry and serving the Lord well because you're so caught up in all the other things of life that you're too busy to do what God wants you to do. Is that what's holding you back? Maybe it's your experience. Maybe you've had some experience in life that has affected your theological positioning and you can't understand what God is trying to say because you are basing your entire theological position off of experience instead of off of God's word. 
Is your experience holding you back? Perhaps there's a relationship that's holding you back. Perhaps that relationship is one person. Perhaps that relationship is a group of friends. You know, Proverbs 13, 20 tells us, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I would encourage you while you're at Cedarville to find the godliest people you can find and let that be your friend group. To find the godliest professors, faculty, and staff that you can find and let those be the mentors that you go to. Don't look around for the least common denominator. Don't look around for people that just want to have fun, have no mission, have no drive, have no vision for life. Find people who want to change the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ and let those people be the people you associate with. They're here. Is it your friend group? Perhaps it's an org. Not all orgs do smart things. We've all seen that. (laughs) Who are you associating yourself with? Perhaps it's your fellow students in a certain unit. Not all units do smart things either. We've all seen that. (laughs) Let me tell you what we got to be focused on here at Cedarville. And all that we do in our classes, in our chapels, in our orgs, in in our units, and everything, we're not perfect. But what we have to be focused on is that everything we do is that we lay it aside if it hinders us from running after Jesus. And if it clings to us closely, we get rid of it because we want to run after Jesus. And I don't care what tradition it may be or how long it may have been around. If it's holding us back from as an institution, as a group of believers, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we got to cut the strings. We got to get rid of it. We got to put the sledgehammer down, get rid of the ankle weights, and we've got to do what we need to do to run hard and fast after Jesus. There are 7 billion people on this planet that need the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's going to use each one of us to get it there. And that's what's important in life, not all the peripheral items that the devil wants to use to tear you down, to hold you back, or to sidetrack you. So whatever it is, let's focus, and let's get rid of the junk, and let's get rid of the sins, and let's run hard and fast after Jesus. It says to get rid of the things, laying aside every weight, And then the sins which cling so closely. And in my mind, I see this example of a wild vine that is growing up around something with the sin that clings so closely. And and this is only in my mind, perhaps, but, but I see those vines growing around us. And as they grow around us, they just hold us there and we can't let go. And the longer we let a sin grow around us and tie us down, the harder it is to break free from that. And I want to say to you, if you've got a sin that's clinging closely to you, get rid of it. The commentators in this text say that it could be two different things. It could be one, it could be a lack of faith, or it could be an individual sin in your life that is causing you to stumble, that is tying you down. Either way, the point is the same. If you've got a sin that's tying you down and holding you back, that sin then becomes your idol. And if it's your idol, if it's what you're looking to, then you have a lack of faith in the one true God. If it's a lack of faith in God, then it's the same thing at the end of the day. Trust God, trust his word. He is faithful and you can trust him. What he says do, do. What he says don't do, don't do it. What's holding you back? What's the sin? that has wrapped up and entangled you and is keeping you from doing amazing things for the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
He says, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Get rid of the sin. You know, I almost got the clip for you, but I decided not to. You, you probably, most of you have probably seen Forrest Gump. Raise your hand if you've seen Forrest Gump, the movie. <laughs> you know, there's that scene where he is a little boy and he has, the, um, he has the harnesses, the braces on his legs, and they throw things at him, and he's with the girl, and, and they're on their bicycles, and as they throw things, they hit him and knock him down, and the girl looks at him and says, run, Forrest, run. And when he starts running, he has these braces on, so his legs are, are moving out kind of weird in an awkward fashion, and the more he begins to run, eventually he breaks free from those braces, and he begins to run, and he runs fast, and he runs so fast, he outruns the guys on the bicycle, and he's telling this lady on the bench this story as he's saying, and everywhere I went, I ran. And I was as fast as the wind. Well, brothers and sisters, spiritually speaking, we have a God, a triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who is as fast as the wind. And the only reason we aren't running to do amazing things for Him is because of us. It's not because of Him. Break free of whatever it is that holds you back whatever it is that entangles you, that ensnares you. And then we move to the main clause. The main clause of this text says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. With endurance, run the race that is set before you. All right, so I tried to think of how do I explain running the race with endurance? How many of you ran the 10K or the 5K on Saturday? Raise your hand. All right, well done. Some of you had absolutely no trouble, and you ran by our house. We had the water station out at our driveway. You ran right by the house, and we said, do you want water? And you were like, nah, I'm good. And you just kept right on trucking. I don't like you, by the way. That's just not right, all right? (laughs) Some of you were like me. You came by the house, and you were like, yeah, I'll take water. (sighs) Yep. I can identify with that, all right? We're like that. I got you, all right? (laughs) The longest race I've ever run was a 13-mile, 32-military-style obstacle race they call the Tough Mudder. Mm -hmm. It's John Wood's fault. Blame him. In fact, I have a photo of it. Yep. So you can see John up there in the back, all covered with mud. We're laughing at this guy because he got too much mud on him and So I'm over here on the side. We ran in the mud like this, some of them. There's another picture. Go to the next picture. This is one of the the last obstacles as you're running through this race was sponsored by Taser. That should give you some idea of the fact we should not have gone through it. But all of those hanging wires that you can kind of see, uh, some of them are hot and some of them are not. Some of them will knock you down. Others will not knock you down. Some of them have 10,000 volts running through them. Some of them have nothing running through them. And so I was running and you see the guy there that's kind of smiling. He fell down face first into the dirt and I started laughing at him. Well, you can see I'm getting up too, right? And so right after I start laughing at him, I'm laying right beside him, looking at him, still laughing at him, realizing I'm on the ground too, and half my face is covered in mud. And I begin to get up, and you can see the mud dripping off of our faces as we get up to crawl out from under the 10,000-volt wires. And we paid money to do this. I'm not that smart. That's okay. (laughs) But look at the last slide here that we've got for you. We finished. How do you finish a race like this? A little bit of insanity, a whole lot of endurance. There were moments running through here. There was one moment running through here that one of the guys, uh, the guy that's in black everything, gloves and all, I don't know why he wore gloves, but 
There was one moment he, his, his calves started cramping up and he's like, guys, I, I can't go. And we all had to say, well, we're waiting on you. We'll carry you. Let's go. And we began to help him as he would go over a hill and down a hill and over a hill until he got, got past some of the, the calf cramps. And what I want to say to you is spiritually speaking, there are some of you that in your spiritual life, you've got a cramp in your calf and you're not doing very well right now. You keep going and you run with endurance and don't you dare give up. The devil is going to come after you and don't you dare give up. Okay, that was a silly example of my own personal life. Here's a better example. When I mention a running with endurance athlete, what comes to mind? Cross country, yeah. Does a 60 plus year old guy that runs with his false teeth out because they rattle in his brain when he runs, does, does that come to mind? Perhaps a guy by the name of Cliff Young, does that come to mind? Well, let me tell you the story of Cliff Young if you haven't heard it. Cliff Young was a potato farmer who, as he was a potato farmer, had to chase cattle and sheep and other things, and he did so with this little shuffle, and he would have to go out and round them up. They didn't have four-wheelers at the time. He would round up his animals. Cliff Young ran a, uh, ran a race one time. It was April 27th, 1983. The race began in Sydney, Australia. The race was an ultra-marathon race. It would cover the distance of 550 miles approximately from Sydney to Melbourne, Australia in a race that would go over multiple days. Well, when Cliff showed up to run the race, he certainly wasn't the favorite. I mean, who would be at 61 years of age would think this is the guy that's going to win the race? But Cliff had his shuffle and he had endurance and he never slept. In fact, he only slept like eight to 12 hours the entire five days, 13 hours, and so it took him to finish the race. While other people were sleeping, while they were trying to get eight hours of sleep, Cliff said, I'm just gonna keep on running because I've been chasing the sheep and the cows and I know I can run all night. It doesn't bother me at all to run all night. And with endurance, he just kept running all night and he finished the race in five days, 14 hours and 35 minutes and he took two days off the former record time. He ran in muck boots, and they weren't sponsored by Nike. Think about it. How did he win the race? It was the tortoise and the hare. It was all about the endurance, and I want to say to you what the author of the book of Hebrews is saying to us here, run the race with endurance that is set before you, and do not give up. Do not get sidetracked. Do not get off the course. Run the race with endurance. How do we run this race with endurance? Where well, we come to our final participial phrase and it says to us here, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. You'll notice in this text, in these three verses here, if we were to expand it by one verse, it tells us to run our race with endurance. It tells us that Jesus here in verse two, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And in verse three, it says, consider him who endured. And even in these three verses, you have that word endurance, endure and endure. And it tells all of us, faculty and staff and students and all of us, as we get tired in the race of the Christian life that God has set before us, he says, endure, 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 run with endurance. And why do we run with endurance? We have Jesus as our example. What did Jesus do? Well, he humbled himself. He became obedient. He became one of us. He was obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. It says in our text here that he endured the cross. He despised the shame 
Are you worried about the shame of society when they look at you and they say you're narrow-minded, you don't understand, you haven't a broad enough perspective when they say, why do you believe that Bible? Why do you think it's inerrant, infallible? Why do you believe Jesus is the only way? When they look at you and they make fun of you, what we look at is our Savior and they made fun of him and we can ask for no better than he suffered on this earth. He endured the cross, he despising the shame, and now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured. You know, this is an important part because what it tells us is you don't look to Moses, you don't look to Abraham, you don't look to Noah, you don't look to David, you don't look to Daniel. Who do we look to? Because all of those men are fallen men and women in the Old Testament, and we look directly at Jesus Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. That's where we focus. That's where we look. When you run a race, you focus on the finish line. You don't look around to see what's behind you. You don't look around to see who's coming. You focus ahead and you focus on the finish line. Some points of application for you here as we close. Have you considered the evidences of faith? Thinking back to the cloud of witnesses that walk forward and they say, God is faithful, you can trust him. Have you thought about that? Do you really trust God and trust his word? Do you believe that? Or is that still a question mark in your life? Well, brothers and sisters, we have God's word right here. We have the infallible and errant word of God as a guide to tell us how to live this life, what happened, what the worldview is, how it's gonna end, the things that we should do. Do we take it for granted or do we digest it? Do we treasure it? Do we hold it close to us? Do we take it for granted and never read it? Or do we daily look to God's word to get guidance for how we should live our life? Do you trust him? When he tells you don't do this because his way is better, do you trust him? What weights do you need to lay aside? today? What challenges your faith? Are you running with endurance? Are you walking? Are you jogging? Or are you still on the couch? Where are you? Are you looking to Jesus or has something of this world distracted you so that you are looking around to the sides, not running hard and fast after Jesus Christ? Tells us that Jesus endured for our sake. The least we can do is endure for him. What I want you to remember out of this entire sermon series is the final slide that I have for you. God is faithful. You can trust him. I look around this audience. I know some of you are going through deep waters right now. I want you to know that God is faithful. You can trust him. Some of you are going to graduate. You're going to go to the ends of the earth. Some of you are going to go on mission assignments. Some of you are going to go to various internships. Some of you are going to take on jobs in places that are going to be difficult. You're not going to be surrounded with chapel five days a week, people who love Jesus, people who want you to grow. And what I want you to remember when those times come is that the first thought that pops into your brain every single time is that God is faithful. You can trust him. In fact, as we close today, I want to know how many of you are going on a mission trip this summer. If you would, just stand up right where you are. If you're going on a mission trip of any sort this summer, stand up. 
How many of you have an internship where you're going to be working in an environment and you know that God has placed you in that internship so that you can be a light testifying to Him, which makes it just as important as any mission trip? How many of you have internships? Would you stand up? How many of you already have job assignments for this summer or for next fall, and you know you're going to have an opportunity to be a light, to pour into others, to testify to God and to what He's doing? Would you stand up? At some point in time during this summer, you're going to have something happen, and you're going to need to run the race with endurance. And here's what I want you to remember. God is faithful. You can trust Him. Now, if you're seated and you want to lay hands on somebody that's near you, you're welcome to do that. If you want to just join me in praying, you're fine to do that. I want you to remain standing. I'm going to say a prayer over you as you go this summer. I just want you to know that we all here love you. We want you to do amazing things for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, as we have students, faculty, and staff that are going on mission trips, that are doing internships, that are opportunities for ministry, jobs, places of employment, Lord, that you have sent them. Lord, none of this is by accident. It is all by design. And Lord, you have a plan and a purpose for what you want them to accomplish You have a race that you have set before them, an individual race that you want them to run with endurance. And so this morning, Lord, we pray that you would help them to do that, that your blessing, your favor would go with them, Lord. Father, we pray for boldness and for perseverance for them, that you would just help them to be lights in dark places, that you would help them to have wisdom as to how to speak words of encouragement, words of challenge, how to share the gospel Lord, we pray that you would be with all of us as we just simply desire to exalt Jesus with our lives. And Lord, help us to run our race and to run it well and to run it with perseverance, looking only to Jesus. God, we pray that you might use us to do something amazing for your name, for your sake, for your honor, and for your glory and for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.